This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome along to the Three Lions podcast. My name's Russell Osborne. Fast approaching the end of 2019 and the start of 2020. And just like the start of this year, we're looking at the chance of some silverware. 2019, we went in with high hopes of the newly formed Nations League finals. Sadly, Holland put us out, who then went on to meet Portugal, who went on to take the trophy on home soil. Although there was the bonus of winning a second successive penalty shootout when we faced Switzerland. 2020 brings us another tournament, one we know, the European Championships. Although this time it's slightly different as it's played across the continent. Personally, I'm not a real big fan of the idea. I'd rather see it hosted by one all shared by two neighbouring countries. Uh, but we'll wait and see. It may be a success. I may change my tune. Although, to be fair, I won't care if we end up lifting the trophy at the end of it. But that's still to come. But I thought I'd take a look back at the past year with the help of some listeners. On the podcast front, I've totted up how many I've put out there over the year. 31, in fact. No appearance on the Sports Personality of the Year this year, but a piece in the England programme against Montenegro, uh, the thousandth game, which was great. And we've spoken with loads of great people, be it people with an England interest, foreign opposing supporters, whom I always appreciate, as generally English isn't their mother tongue. So to put themselves out there on a podcast is very brave. And plus we've spoken with some who have represented the Three Lions on the biggest stage. All the podcasts are still available via your usual podcast platform or at threelionspodcast.com. So if you're a new listener, welcome along. Hopefully you'll like some of what you'll hear and go back and check out some of the full episodes. And whilst you're at it, please do leave a review on the likes of iTunes. Apparently, it makes it more visible for others to find it. So, let's go back to the beginning of the year. Our first episode was with shirt guru Simon Shakeshaft, or Shakey, who let me get my hands on some actual England match-worn shirts. If I could just describe it, it's simply... I say simply in the <laughs> the loosest term, as it were. It's it's a pure red, long sleeved shirt with a round neck, with just a stitched three lions badge on it. It feels beautiful. It feels. And you mentioned pajamas earlier. It almost feels like those pajamas I had when I was a child. Lovely and warm. And on the back is a lovely white pure stitched number six and it obviously it evokes memories of a a summer of 1966 
not actually from 1966, as as you're going to to maybe explain to me, but this is an England shirt as worn by Bobby Moore that almost takes us back, not to the beginning, but to where where supporters will recognise shirts. You know, an Englishman would get a little passion for his country's football team would get a little bit of a flutter when you see a shirt like this. I'm almost you shaking. Put, I am you, shaking. When you when you put um, a shirt like this in your hand, that's what I'm trying to say. When you go, when when I've been fortunate enough to be in the position I've been to handle some of the the unbelievable shirts within Nell's collection, and this is one, 100% cotton, England crew neck, long sleeve. Then the first of our conversations with former internationals began with former Tottenham defender Gary Stevens who told me about playing for England in the 1986 Mexico World Cup and Maradona. Well, yes, the quarterfinals. Unfortunately, you were on the bench for that one. And um, Let's cut to the chase. Did you see it? We're going to talk hand of God. Did you see it from the bench? Uh, this, the simple answer is no, I didn't. We weren't sure, but... And again, in the Azteca Stadium, the dugout was obviously on the halfway line, but it was set, I don't know, maybe 10 yards back from the pitch, maybe a touch further. And it was literally, you were down in the ground. So your your head was maybe a foot above pitch level. It was a shocking place to to observe a game from. And if if you worked out the yardage, it's probably 70 yards from where we were to where the incident was. All we knew was that something had gone wrong because as the ball looped up in in the air from Steve Hodge and we're seeing Peter Shilton coming out and he's going to punch it, you know, there's only one thing that's going to happen and that's Peter Shilton's going to punch it, you know, because he's got a run, he's got the advantage, he's got his arm. And as Diego Maradona challenged for it, somehow the ball went past Peter Shilton and he, he punched nothing. Um... And then, of course, there's Terry Fennick and there's Terry Butcher, you know, indicating to the, the referee that it's a handball. You know, my namesake and, and Gary Stevens of Everton and, and Kenny Sanson have rushed over to the lines when they're saying it's handball. Um, all I can assume is that the referee didn't see it from where he was, because if he had, he has to give it. You, you could say that Diego Maradona did it quite brilliantly because it was very subtle, almost like a, the sleight of hand of a magician. But obviously it didn't help our cause too much. No. And, you know, yeah, somewhat aggrieved, I suppose, if you say, well, if you found yourself in that type of position yourself, would you maybe do similar? I dare say at some stage most of us have in training, in a match, but maybe not in a World Cup quarterfinal, eh? Now, the England Supporters Club is the organisation that makes it possible for supporters to attend England games and England away games. Now, I spoke with Richard Weeks, who gave us an insight as to what it is they do behind the scenes for supporters. I'm sure a lot of members will know um, it's sort of had many guises since around about 1990, a multitude of different names. Um, I'm far too young and I've not been here long enough to remember all of them. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it started around 1990, um, sort of took off around year 96, various reasons. And yeah, I mean, it's sort of had its peaks and its and its lows and things like that. But, um, but ultimately, yeah, um, 
we are kind of here to try and uh, sort of uh, represent the England supporters uh, and try and uh, try and do as best we can by them. Uh, there's three of us within the team. So there's the boss, which is Heartbreak, which you all know from the ticket collection points. Uh, there's myself and, and there's Lauren as well. Um, so sort of our role is really dealing with um, specifically around the weight games. Yeah, there's a lot of work um, around uh, sort of ticket allocations, security, um, yeah, actually receiving and allocating the tickets, uh, getting ticket collection points in place, the travel guides, the information we send out. You mentioned fan forums there. Obviously, last year before the World Cup, you had a couple, one at Walsall and one at Leeds. Is there any plans to do any, any more in the future? Uh, yeah, always. So there'll definitely be ones that build up to Euro 2020. It's always something that I think people think is a great thing and loads of people will attend. But then sometimes we don't get the, the interest back. So we've had to cancel a few, uh, like Newcastle, I think one in the Midlands, where we advertised it didn't get enough interest. Yeah. And I think there's, um, we always, we always, always try to yeah, organise these sorts of things because it is important to try and engage with people outside London. Now, 2019 was the Women's World Cup. It was held in France and the fifth appearance for the Lionesses. Now, alongside Jill Coulthard and Mary Phillips, I spoke with Claire Rafferty, who played in the 2015 tournament. And this is what she said about playing the then hosts, Canada. That was kind of when it, it really started to hit home. That, you know, wow, we're, we're going to be in a, in a quarterfinal of a World Cup. That's absolutely massive. Well, that massive game came against the hosts, didn't it? Yeah, against yeah. Canada. And we were in Vancouver as well, so we'd flown to Vancouver. And obviously, Vancouver's beautiful, isn't it? Mm. But, you know, it really had World Cup fever. Right. The, uh, the, the city. And you could kind of, as soon as we got there, you could feel the buzz. We were playing Canada. And I think the day before, it was Canada Day. Okay. Or the day after, but either way, it was like it was massive. You know, literally everyone you looked at was wearing Canada shirt, whether it was for the football or not. They were just <laughs> really kind of going for it. And I just remember walking out onto the onto that pitch, and it was, I think it was a closed over stadium. It was really quite weird, and it just felt the atmosphere. It was just electric. I don't think it sounded like there was not one English fan in there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, probably thirty odd thousand Canadian fans, all in red and white cheering for their team and and I think early on Jody nicked the goal because they um they made a mistake at the back and I remember them thinking oh my god this is you know something's happening here we're we're really the luck's really for us because I remember it was quite a big mistake for their centre back and Jody just capitalised and then and then I think we scored again and then you they did. scored you, yeah yeah Lucy Bronze scored yeah, Lucy about Bronze three the, three four yeah. minutes later and uh, and they pulled another one back just before yeah, they, half so, time yeah Sinclair pulled one back before half time and I remember going in half time and just being so hyped up on adrenaline just because of the crowd and the fact we were up and you know and then we just literally rode the wave again and again and again because they were coming at us and yeah. and I think KB got an allergic reaction to the to the um, 3G pitch in her eye oh, and really? Siobhan Chamberlain had to come on so it was quite a big substitution to make and she made like some last minute save on the line and stuff so it was really backs against the wall and yeah I mean after that when that final whistle went I just just I think that's probably one of the best memories I've got in football that moment oh. because I just remember everyone looking up and everyone running onto the pitch, just like throwing their their um, shirts around and just, yeah. Oh, oh excellent. Um, it gives me goosebumps actually thinking about that. 
With England's 1,000th match taking place in November, I took it as an opportunity to dig into the history of England's very first international match, which was played on a cricket pitch in Scotland in 1872. I like to think I put a lot of effort into each and every podcast I produce, but this one is probably the one I'm most proud of. I actually started planning it back in March. Took a fair bit of research and a lot of emails and phone calls and a fair few miles. I took a trip to Glasgow to visit Hampden Park where they have a great museum with loads of details about the game. I also took in the actual venue, the West of Scotland Cricket Club. And I was also able to speak with a distant relative of the England captain of the game, Cuthbert Ottaway. Cuthbert Ottaway was the third great-grandfather of Brooke Hunter, and I'm very honoured to be joined by her, and she's speaking to me from Toronto in Canada. Brooke, hello there. Hi, Russell. When I began this project, I was investigating the very first game. I came across Cuthbert, and I thought, wow, could I really speak with a family member, a family descendant. What could you tell us about Cuthbert? Well, he had one daughter who had one daughter who had one daughter who had me. From what I understand, he came from uh, a good family, a, a small family. His dad was the mayor of Dover in Kent, and he was an only child, so a very cloistered environment and at school being that being that level of athlete across that many sports oh boy would he have been popular huh yes he was captain of both the football team and the cricket team at oxford Uh, euro 2020 is next year and the draw for the tournament was made i was fortunate enough to go to wembley to watch it unfold on the telly in the company of former Three Lions goalkeeper David Seaman. And he told me about his memories of Euro 96 and that penalty save. I was behind the goal at Wembley in 96. What went through your head there and the, the moment afterwards when the ball ended up with Gaza? The Tony Adams kissing you. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, the biggest thing I remember is Tony's kiss. Really? Weirdly enough, yeah, because I remember him having a bristly face. And I was thinking, yeah. Um, but no, obviously, the, the penalty was a penalty. And, and then I, I knew that Gary McAllister was a good penalty taker. And I knew he puts it either side. So I just guessed to my right, and he hit it so hard. The ball, uh, I must say, the ball did start moving off the spot. And uh, he hit it with pace, and I just managed to get my elbow on it, and it it landed right on the point of my elbow, shot over the crossbar, and it was just great relief, because we were 1-0 up at the time, and we were struggling a little bit, Um, the ball went out for a corner, I remember it coming in, there was a free kick, I got the ball down or something, and then played it out, I don't even remember who to, and then they played it to Gaza, and then within two minutes of me making my penalty save, we're 2-0 up, you know, and it was just a great time, you know, and a great time for... For me, great time for Gaza as well. Clive Allen was up next. Now, he only won five caps, but he was more than happy to tell me about them, including his England debut. 
When it did finally come, you were you were playing at QPR, and it came as a an England tour. And I guess me personally, I guess well, Wembley would obviously be a, a great place to start. But you started somewhere not at Wembley, but somewhere equally as great, didn't you? Well, it's quite remarkable. Everybody knows my England debut. And when I say to people, "Tell me who it was," and they say, "No, I can't remember." And I say, I only have to say one name, and that's John Barnes. <laughs> and they go, no, really? So I say, yes, really. Obviously, everybody remembers the memorable goal that John Barnes scored in American Art in Brazil. Um, I was on the bench at that moment when he run through an amazing run, incredible goal. Um, and then I came on for Tony Woodcock to, to win my first England cap in American Art with England um, winning 2-0. So, um, a quite unbelievable start as you rightly say I think every schoolboy's dream is to play at Wembley for England but for me to make my debut in the American art against Brazil was, was something quite extraordinary there's so many other episodes to mention so many other people too that I spoke with Glenn Isherwood Cam Melling Steve Hopper Jack Gordon Brown Glyn Davis too and they're all worth searching back through 3lionspodcast.com uh, to hear what they have to say. So thank you for their time. But let's start our look back over 2019 with the senior men. Now, they played 10 times this year. And for the first time since 1993, every one of our games has had something at stake. Be it Euro 2020 points or Nations League final games. No friendlies. Stark contrast to 1994, when all England did play was friendlies. Six, no less. A year before that, 1993, featured eight World Cup qualifiers and three US Cup tournament games. And only 1971 before that did we play it during the year with no friendlies. Six Euro qualifiers and three home championship games. Although it's open to debate whether they're actually classed as friendlies. Now next year, we already know of four friendlies, and a minimum of three, a maximum seven, fingers crossed, Euro 2020 games, and six Nations League matches. Next year, we'll be busy, and the wallet, well, that's going to take a hammer in. But as a comparison to 2018... That saw us play 17 games and both previous home tournaments in 1996. We played 12 times and back in 1966, 17 times. So looking back over the year, 10 games of which I managed to get to eight of them. And it started with that 5-0 win over the Czech Republic. Raheem Sterling getting a hat-trick that day, Harry Kane and an own goal. We then faced Montenegro away in the uh, Euro qualifiers. Another five goals for England, but we did concede early on. Michael Keane got a header, Ross Barkley got two, Kane and Sterling one each. Then it was time for the Nations League in June. That first game against the Netherlands, where we went down by three goals to one. Marcus Rashford getting our goal, which meant we went on to the third and fourth place game. That was hard work, watching from the stands. Quite hot there in Guamares, but we did win it 5-6 on penalties. 
And it was one as well, Jordan Pickford had an effect on in goal, saving, and as well putting one away. Come September, we were back in Euro qualifying action. Home to Bulgaria. Harry Kane got three and Raheem Sterling got one as we ran out 4-0 winners. Then we went down to St. Aries in Southampton. England 5, Kosovo 3. What a topsy-turvy game that was. Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane, there was an own goal there and Jaden Sancho got on the score sheet twice. Then the only blemish on our Euro qualifying campaign came away in Prague at the Czech Republic where we went 2-1 down. Harry Kane got that opening goal from the spot but it just wasn't our day. Nothing seemed to click then. Then we went to Bulgaria. 6-0 we ran out but that was of course only half the story. Obviously, a lot went on off the pitch in that game. But Marcus Rashford opened the scoring. Ross Barkley got two. Sterling got two. And Harry Kane got one. We then faced Montenegro in the 1,000th game for England. That was in November. Oxlade Chamberlain got one. Harry Kane got three. Marcus Rashford got one. And Tammy Abraham got his first England goal. as an own goal, too. And then finally, the last game in the qualifying campaign came away in Pristina, in Kosovo, where we ran out 4-0 winners. Thanks to Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, Mason Mount. And Harry Kane finished up scoring in every single Euro qualifying round. So we played 10, we won 7, drew 1 and lost 2 throughout the year. We scored 38 and only conceded 9. I say Harry Kane got a lot of the goals, 12 in fact. Raheem Sterling got 8, Ross Barkley got 4, as did Marcus Rashford. Three own goals throughout the the qualifying campaign. Jaden Sancho got 2 and 1 each for Michael Keane, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Harry Winks, Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham. Personal highlights for me. Well, they included the Nations League in Portugal in June. Whilst the result wasn't really what we wanted, I had a great time staying in a shared villa just outside of Porto with many other England fans. Great company, great food, great experience. Plus as well, that trip to Kosovo, uh, a visit that I'll always remember. The people, the place, again, the whole experience. I spoke with some regulars on the podcast over the past year about their highlights. And this is what they had to say. Okay, let's welcome back. It's always a pleasure, as always, Dom Smith from EnglandFootball.org. Hello there. Hello. EnglandFootball.org. Been another good year for you, hasn't it? It has. I've uh, grabbed a few more interviews. Spoken to uh, Henry Winter, Kenny Sansom, Darren Anderton... Oh, and Peter Shilton, of course, as well. Yes, yeah, I read that one. That was a, a good one. Always uh, good to hear from a uh, from well, a, the top English male capper, isn't he? Absolutely, 125 caps. Rooney came close, but he never did it. Not quite. <laughs> well, you never know. He might have another comeback. Oh, I don't know. That'd be a bit of a farce, wouldn't it? I wouldn't mind, but it would be a bit of a farce. No, I, I think he may. Have, his England days are gone. It's been been good year for you online. How about on the pitch? What's been your 2019 highlight? It's been a few to choose from. Yeah, I've gone for England's 1,000th game. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
England seven, Montenegro nil, because it, it, I went to every home game this year, so, so that was one of the ones I went to. And I, I can't explain, I know a lot of England fans think that there's something quite commercial and sort of there's no atmosphere at the new Wembley, but I, I feel like the, those cold sort of October, November nights are quite exciting. I know they're often friendlies or qualifiers, but, you know, you, you can't affect that. You know, they, they, are, they are fun games to go to. And to score seven against Montenegro, who uh, the first three times we played, we drew with every single time. It's a pretty good turn up, really. Yeah, that was a good one. And, and Harry Kane got a hat-trick that night, didn't he? He did. And Tammy Abraham came on for him and got his first England goal. It was the obviously the 1,000 international. So at halftime, some of the England legends were lauded on the pitch. I remember seeing... Gaza, David Seaman, uh, Rooney, Defoe, Tony Adams, quite a lot more. To be honest, I thought they could have made a bit more of them coming onto the pitch. I know that the match day programme was, uh, was, was a really good one. You featured in that as well, didn't you? Oh, yeah, nice one. Thanks for getting that in. <laughs> yeah, no, I gave that a good read and I thought that was a really well-made programme. But um, in terms of the, the legends, I thought they could maybe made a bit more of them coming on. You know, these are players that have that, that are some of the only reasons we've even got to latter stages in tournaments before. And all they did was walk on like some, some kind of press party and walk off. But, you know, in terms of the uh, the, the stats, uh, it was uh, the biggest is our biggest win since March 2013 and our and our biggest win ever at the new Wembley. Yeah, which I think is a brilliant way to cap off the 1000th international. Yes, I agree. Um, and looking forward to next year, it's going to be a big one. What do you predict for 2020? Uh, I mean, I think it's fair to predict that we're going to win the group. I don't think it's at all fair to predict what's going to go from there, because of course, <laughs> if we win the group, we we play thir- uh, second in uh, in terms of France, Portugal and Germany. E- even that, I don't know who to call. Germany are the home team in that group, so they play all their games in, is it Munich, I think? Yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, that might that might be telling, but we'll see. I mean, I think we can win it. Where do I think we'll get to? I think we're going to go out in the semi-final. OK, well, let's see. No doubt we will. Well, I can guarantee we will talk uh, throughout 2020. Dom yeah. Smith, englandfootball.org. Uh, I wish you a Merry Christmas and all the best for the new year. And I return it to you. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to welcome back CJ Joyner to the Three Lions podcast on this our 2019 look back. CJ, are you there? Yeah, I'm all good, Russell. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. 2019, what's been that highlight? The way I was taking teams apart. Right, um, yeah. Throughout the years, we've taken your San Marinos and um, Andorras apart and so on, haven't we? Uh, these mid-tier were traditionally mid-tier teams. You're talking Czech Republic, Bulgaria. I mean, it, your Montenegros and stuff like that as well that are kind of like lower down mid-tier slash upper lower tier, um, mm. if, you can, if you can bracket them. Aside from a blip, we've destroyed every team we've played, haven't we? So, And obviously that blip was against the Czech Republic. And then when we played against the upper, the upper, t- you know, the... The better teams, Switzerland and um, Holland, we've actually given them a game. Do you know what I mean? We, we have, and Switzerland, we, we should have beaten um, in 90 minutes. And obviously, it's nice to have a penalty shootout win. Um, yeah. Holland, we probably should have beaten them, really. Um, I've been very, very, very um, happy with the year, to be honest. Um, 
the overall highlight is probably that Bulgaria game and the way our, our players and our fans behaved um, in that stadium and what the way we reacted to what was going on. A little bit as well at, at, um, against Montenegro. Um, that was that was pretty good. And, and however, on the pitch, when we when you look at football, just the fact that like we're brushing these teams aside when. There's a lot of the nations that aren't doing that. And that's just a positive that we just got to look at. And the, the way our Southgate has reacted to um, to games, I've said it a few times on this pod, actually, where we look at the likes of when we go 1-0 down, like we did Pogorisha and at Southampton, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, we early on in the there. game, yes. very, very Within a minute, yes. <laughs> well, yeah. And you, you look how we reacted. That was a fantastic game. It was absolutely mm. brilliant, that was. Um, but either way, like I said, the way how we just brushed the team brushed the team aside afterwards, and it's almost like Southgate has just said to them, look, go out, do what you can do. Um, don't worry about if you go 1-0 down, it's fine. If, if you go 2-1 down, it's fine. 3-2 down, it's fine. You've just, but you've just got to make sure you put on a show afterwards. And that's kind of what, that's kind of what they've been able to do. I think you're right. And hopefully that can carry on to next year. Yeah. I mean, I'm not too concerned, to be honest, if we go 1-0 down against any side, really. Um, I mean, next year going into, you know, when when we've won uh, when we've won that group with nine points and we've got, uh, <laughs> we, we've got a plus 12 goal difference from the group, you know, or whatever we might be able to dream about. Um, obviously, um, 10 of them would be against Scotland and then the other... You know, the narrow one nil wins against the against the Czech Republic <laughs> and, um, and Croatia. And Croatia yeah. <laughs> but um, coming back against the French or the Germans, you know, that'd be that'd be fantastic in that second round, wouldn't it? Last minute winner, yeah, yeah. Well, no, let's hope so. Let's uh, let's we'll, we'll no doubt undoubtedly uh, speak before then. Uh, CJ, thank you very much for for joining us over this this past year. Um, and yeah, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to you. Same to you, Rush. And welcome back to the Three Lions Podcast, England blogger Matt Asprey. Matt, hello there. Hi, Russell. How are you, mate? All good, thank you. Twenty nineteen. What have you made of it? It's been a good year for. And I think, I mean, uh, obviously got the Euro 2020 qualification all uh, secured and also had the uh, the Nations League finals as well. So England back in a semi-final action. And um, yeah, it's just been a very solid year. And obviously had uh, England women's as well in the World Cup. It's been a, I think it's been a great year for England in terms of international football. Yes. Any particular moment that really stood out for you? Well, there are multiple moments, but I think the one that stood out really was the Women's World Cup. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it couldn't have been any more perfect with having the men get into the semi-finals of um, Russia than the women going very late into the tournament. And it was just a pity, obviously. You know, it, it, victory, we almost got ourselves back on level terms. The USA wasn't for Steph Horton missing that penalty, but mm. that, that was obviously a highlight. And you saw how... You know, I'm not someone who watches, I'm going to admit it now, I don't watch that much women's football, but because I was with it being a World Cup and um, England's women being involved, and as they got further and further into the tournament, obviously the interest grew, and then I, my interest grew in it. So I think that really has helped the women's game in this country. But also, you know, I think the Nations League was a highlight as well for me, going to Portugal for a week or so, even though England 
got knocked out of the semis. I mean, I still couldn't believe when uh, he went to the third place playoff against uh, Switzerland. I mean, you know, it wasn't the greatest game of football, but I just couldn't get over the amount of England fans that still made the trip. And also yeah. walking through Gimmaray after to be a cut through by the locals, didn't know how to interpret that as a thanks for coming or please get out of here sort of thing. So, <laughs> no, it was a, it was a solid year. The only disappointment I have really was the um, under-21s at the uh, Euros in Italy. I really felt we could have done really well in that tournament, but it just shows how crucial mistake, how vital mistakes can be in a game. I mean, we had... De Henderson with his um, little mess up in goal, and you know, it, and England throwing the leads away in the group games. It, that was the only downer, really. Was because I, I, I really thought we could do really well on that under twenty one euros. But other than that, I think it's been a, a solid year for England on the international front. Roll on twenty twenty. Well, yeah, roll on twenty twenty. Obviously, the Euros are next year, and you did mention. Uh, the women there, it'll be an Olympic year for, okay, not England, but for Great Britain. So they're going to be in tournament action. Uh, can we come away with some silverware or goldware, I guess, as well next year? I think um, I think there's any possibility. Again, I think the, uh, with it being Great Britain, obviously means you'll be getting uh, players from all corners of the uh, country. But I think it will obviously be mostly an English centric team so I, th- I think you're going to see a lot of the players that are part of that uh, Lionesses team which made the uh, semi-finals of the World Cup this year so um, I'm looking forward to the Olympics I mean I'll, the Olympic football isn't usually something I really tune into but again with it I've really got into it when uh, Great Britain's men's team were playing in 2012 so no hopefully we can come away with some silverware and if they do I think it will again further grow the women's game in our in uh, England, for example, because now I think we're at a very critical point. Obviously, we're seeing with the attendances at all the domestic games that they're selling out the big Premier League stadiums or, or getting a large crowd in, rather. I think if they can, if the Great Britain squad can go to Tokyo next year, come back with um, some form of silver, whether it be bronze, silver or gold, I think they could really, truly inspire another generation of uh, women's footballers. Yes, no, I think you're right, and would be a great springboard for the Euro 2021. Cool, we're really getting ahead of ourselves here. But the men, Euro 2020 next year? Yeah, oh, I really hope. I, I think this is one of our best chances we've had in a long time. And there's a lot, for once, as I've written in a, a few blogs and things like that, with, there's a lot of optimism about England ahead of Euro 2020. Usually it'd be all a bit doom and gloom going, oh, if we, do, if we get to the quarters it'll be fine. But it just shows how much it's changed now between the team and the fans. The fans as a group now, we're expected to go to the semis and the final. And also, it's mentioned numerous times in the press by players and management and things like that. It's a prime opportunity to win a tournament at home. I mean, playing at home is going to be so vital. I mean, having the group games here and then if England get through the round of 16 and quarterfinals on skate, I mean, the semis and the final at at Wembley would be something truly special and obviously it'd be bringing back memories of Euro 96 which I wasn't around for but from uh, when I speak to my dad about it he says it was a really special time when England were doing so well in that tournament and playing at home so hopefully more of the same I just really hope we can do well next year next summer's tournament Plenty to look forward to Matt Asprey thank you very much for your for your highlights of the year and, and let me take this opportunity to, to wish you a Merry Christmas and all the best for the new year it's have a Christmas too, Russell, and uh, yeah, speak to you in the new year. We will do. As Matt Asprey mentioned the Lionesses there, I think it's high time we took a look at their year. 
whilst the men played 10 games across the year, the Lionesses played 20, but that did include seven World Cup games in France. And that was the highlight of a bit of a mixed year for Phil Neville's girls. Now, the year couldn't have gotten off to a better start. The victory in the She Believes Cup, an annual tournament held in America. There were wins over Brazil and Japan and a draw with the eventual World Cup winners of the USA. But in a year of 10 friendlies, only three of them were won. As we know, it's not friendlies that really count. The World Cup was the main objective and to bow out at the semi-final stage was no great shame. It began with three group stage victories over Scotland, Argentina and Japan. Cameroon were up next in the round of 16 and the tournament up until then had been played in very high spirits. But the Cameroon game, well that spilt over, mainly over a couple of VAR issues. And we've done well actually to get this far without mentioning VAR. But there was also the elbow to the face of Nikita Paris early on and there was also the spitting incident. And next up were Norway in what was the last of the Lionesses' wins for the next six games. It was a straightforward 3-0 win before facing the Americans in the semi-final. It wasn't to be, though, as Alex Morgan got the winner and celebrated with a sip of tea. And the third and fourth place didn't go our way either, as Sweden won 2-1. But after the World Cup, the Lionesses, they played six further friendlies. They lost three, drew one and won two. But those two wins, they just didn't have the same performance that we knew that they were capable of. They weren't up to the standard we know. And subsequently, while the Lionesses fell to sixth in the world rankings, it is their lowest since 2015. Anyway, next year brings the She Believes Cup again and also the Olympics in Japan. It's not going to be an English team, but Phil Neville will be in charge, should he be there, uh, and he'll be in charge of Team GB, and one that I'm sure is going to feature a lot of the English girls and one that I'm sure we can all get behind. But the goals this year, they came from Ellen White got nine, Beth Mead got six, Nikita Paris got four, although that could have been a higher tally. Uh, I think she missed three penalties over the course of the year. Steph Horton, Jill Scott, Jodie Taylor and Bethany England got two and one goal each for Lucy Staniforth, Karen Carney, Alex Greenwood, Lucy Bronze, Frank Herbie, Georgia Stanway and Leah Williamson. And highlights for me? Well, my first Lionesses game. Two, in fact. Uh, Firstly, a trip to Belgium to see them draw 3-3 in August. Don't need much of an excuse to get the Eurostar over to Belgium. Uh, And then there was the record-breaking game at Wembley, where over 77,000 fans turned up to watch them. Unfortunately, though, this was during that period of games where those performances, they just weren't really up to scratch. And Germany ran out winners. Unlike the men's highlights... I spoke with a Lionesses fan for her highlights. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast. It's a hello to Maisie Threadgold. Hello there. Hello. Hi there. Welcome along. And 
2019 it's or late 2019 has been quite an exciting year for you on on the lionesses front it has actually i mean the whole year's been pretty exciting but definitely the latter latter part of the year has been has been very exciting well and tell us about it i mean i guess i'll start with the wembley game because that's the most recent and the most exciting part of my lionesses experience i got invited to vlog my experience at wembley by the lionesses for their social medias Amazing. I spent, I spent the day on the phone, really, um, <laughs> filming myself and my experience of the sold-out game at Wembley Stadium. So I met a few people along the way and got some interviews in. But mainly, they were—they kind of asked me to just, just vlog myself and get myself filmed and literally just do it from my perspective. I had a few tasks that they gave me to do, so I had to do like a pre pre-game before I left the house and then when I was on the way to the stadium and then when I got there and the atmosphere and what it was like and during the game obviously and then like a little rundown afterwards so I did all of that and then they put a put a few clips onto their Instagram story and did a massive collaboration video at the end and put that on their Twitter. Excellent so, something you enjoyed? Yeah yeah absolutely it was great fun. Yeah it was all all good apart from the result wasn't it? Yeah it wasn't it wasn't the best result but we still we still did it and we were still there so yeah I, I went to the same game and it, it was an enjoyable day if uh, it'll be a little bit damp yes it was very wet actually yeah <laughs> it rained a lot so that was uh in early November of 2019 are there yeah. any other highlights from following the lionesses you've had over the past year I, I mean the she believes cup I thought was absolutely phenomenal I'd um I don't really know how it came about, but I was working and the England-USA game was kicking off. It was quite late and I, I work in a theatre, so I'd had a show on that night. And me and the guys that I work with, I'd managed to get them following the Lionesses as well. So I said, guys, look, there's a game on tonight. Can we put it on the projector afterwards? So we sat in this 400-seat auditorium that was completely empty, right in the middle with a pint and a box of Pringles that we watched <laughs> the game. And it was actually brilliant and uh, so there's only three of us. The two boys went out to get another beer and England scored the, the first goal. And I went mental and they came in like, are you OK? What's going on? I was like, no, it's fine. We just scored. It was it was fantastic. And that game was brilliant, actually. Like that really resonates with me. I think every time we play the USA is just an incredible atmosphere because both countries are so passionate about the game. And it was it was almost the kickstart to the year, wasn't it? We, we won that she believes tournament yeah. uh, and it was it was the best ideal way to go into the world cup i guess yeah i think it definitely gave us a lot of backing and a lot of like motivation and it kind of you know people got people got talking about it a lot of people were like oh no england are actually quite good yeah we could be in a chance of winning this world cup unfortunately we did lose out but you know again that was to the usa who put out their best game against us Yes. What what games from the World Cup stood out for you? Uh, the Cameroon game definitely stood out for me. I know it probably wasn't as significant as playing, obviously, the USA, but there was a lot of controversy in that game, as I'm sure you probably remember. Yeah. And I think, actually, that was really exciting to watch. I tried watching every single game at the World Cup and that was one of the first games where no player went down injured at all at any point and and then obviously stuff started to kick off a little 
And it was really, it was exciting. It gripped you because mm. you want, you know, you were invested. You were like, well, no, we're, this is our team. Like we're backing our country. Yeah. It was, it was like a, almost like a fight where you've got two sides. It was completely like England were totally behind the, the women from England. And these other players were giving off a little bit of a, a bit of a yeah, it certainly ended like that, didn't it? I remember the yeah. there was the piece on the touchline where I can't remember who it was that went down now, but there was certainly some confrontation uh, going on towards the end of that game. But thankfully, we came through that three 0 didn't we? Yes, I think so. We we definitely, you know, we came out fighting and we proved that England are actually just a very respectable professional team. I think that is something that is so important. Like the Lionesses are so good at what they do, and they. You know they put off such a such a professional. I don't I don't know how to explain it, but they are just so head in the game. Like they are they are in love with what they do, and they do it so well. So twenty nineteen, would you put it down as being a successful year, or has it ended on a maybe a, a little bit of a downbeat note? It's definitely been a successful year, hundred percent. Like, there's no questioning that. However, you know. We haven't ended the best way we could, but as a team, we've improved and we're always improving. And I think that's the main thing, really, in the long run. And you are on you're on Twitter and Instagram, I believe. Yes, Twitter and Instagram at Maisie TS underscore. Maisie, let's speak more in 2020. Yes, definitely. And there it is. Our look back on 2019 is over. Now, I hope those sleigh bells didn't annoy you too much. And apologies uh, if you come across this in February, March time. Uh, But thanks for listening. And indeed, throughout the year too. It's been great having you along. And I always welcome your feedback. And it's always great to meet up with fans at games and put faces to names. Now, I've already got a load of episodes lined up for next year, which I hope you're going to enjoy. And that just leaves me to take this opportunity to wish you a very Merry Christmas and all the best for you and your family and your team for the forthcoming year 2020. Now let's hope it's a good one. Nothing less than that Henry Delaunay Trophy at Wembley on the 12th of July. So until 2020, cheers. Cheers.